we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Well, let's give the Lord a praise. Come on. He can do all things. Amen. 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 Before we close out this time of prayer, I just want you to take somebody by the hand that's near you, if you're comfortable doing that. And I just want us to just pray this simple prayer. Father, come on, just repeat it with me. Father, we come to you in need of you. Now open our hearts, open our minds to the Word of God. We want to be driven by your Spirit. Father, we throw you the keys. Take control. Help us, Lord, to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord one more praise as you're being seated. If you have your Bibles, you want to turn with me. Romans 12, verse 9 is where we're going to begin. Romans 12, verse 9. I want to share with you, we've been diving into this series, Driven. And uh, I'm excited about where it's taking us and, and the destination we're going to end up with uh, in just a, a few weeks. But uh, all these kind of stand alone. So if you are saying, well, I missed the, the first few of these, that's okay because these kind of stand on their own. And uh, we're going to be talking about, we're anchoring in, in Mark, the first chapter, where Jesus has been baptized. He comes up out of the water. The Bible says the Holy Spirit descends on him in the form of a dove and says he is immediately it remains upon him that's an important fact and then he is driven immediately by the spirit into a wilderness place and there in that wilderness is where he is tempted of the enemy and he overcomes temptation and uh, that's not our primary focus my primary focus is that who was in control of his destiny was the spirit and if the Son of God thought it would be important that the Spirit took control, then we as followers of Jesus need to really be concerned about what's driving our life, what's steering us, where are we going, what, are we, what do you wake up in the morning consumed with, what do you wake up in the morning that's most on your mind that's usually what's driving us. And I believe more and more God is calling to us to make the shift from a, whether it's work or school or relational, whatever is driving us, that we, we make that shift that it's God that's driving us. That when I wake up in the morning, my heart is, what does the Lord want me to do today? What is, what, how would the Lord, how can I best glorify the Lord at my job? How can I best glorify the Lord at my school? What can I do to lift up the name of the Lord uh, in my life, with, among my family, among my friends, among those that, that are close to me, how are my acquaintances even? How can I be driven of the Lord and, and show the Lord to those around me? So again, I want to begin with uh, Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. So if you want to read along, I'm reading from the uh, ESV translation, which says, uh, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope 
difficult, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with, the, with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Boy, that's a good one, isn't it? Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought, uh, thought to, to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Some of y'all have made that a life verse. It's a joke. Okay, we, 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 we're, we need to get the first part of this. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be, do, not overcome, do, not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, uh, these are Paul's writings of encouragement to the church in Rome. And he's saying, first of all, to them, listen, what you need to do is you need to let love be genuine. Now, I'm going to tell you, I have been around a lot of counterfeit in my life. Have you? And I know genuine from fake. And everybody in this room, who likes the genuine article, okay? Some of you, if you, if you, uh, you know, uh, go to New York and you go to the right parts of New York, you can find you a Rolex for 10 bucks. You can find you a designer purse for $5. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, that might be the name on it. But that is, that's not the genuine article. What are you saying? I'm saying to you that there's a lot of things that may look genuine, but when you dig a little deeper, there's not, they're, they're false. They're not real. They're not true. And I believe that, that what, what we're going to be talking about over the next few moments is as we talk about be, being driven, we need to be driven by the supernatural love of, uh, of God, or we need to be driven by love. And I believe love must be the motivating force in the church. It must be what people sense about us the most, and it must be what people see in us the most and feel about us the most. So again, the very first thing Paul says is, let it be genuine. Ahoard what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. In other words, you need to outdo each other in loving one another, in honoring one another. We need to outdo that, uh, uh, each other, and, and, and make it an effort to, to, to show everyone around us we are driven by love. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse 13 says, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. And I'm going to talk to you uh, about that because it's kind of uh, an amazing chapter if you read through uh, 1 Corinthians 13. But when he gets to the conclusion of the matter, he says the greatest of these is love. Now I think back to when the pandemic first hit and everybody started, you know, everything got shut down. And, and there was a lot of messages, and I preached one, and, and it, you know, it, it, it really didn't take a whole lot of thought for you to come up with a title, Faith Over Fear, and there was a lot of people that pre preached about having faith over fear, and I, I, I agree with that in principle, but now that I look back in hindsight, what we should have been teaching is we need to love in this hour like we've never loved before, because love is the greatest, uh, uh, Paul says in Corinthians, over even over faith and even 
excitement over hope. Why? Because it is through love that faith and hope are generated in a believer's life. Without love, those things can't be present. In other words, it is the cornerstone in which we are built in our relationship with God. In other words, I want to do a let's do a word association game. You ever played the word association game? You say I say a word and then you say the first thing that pops in your mind. Well, I want you to think about the word association game. What one word would come to the mind of the unchurched or the unbeliever uh, about Christians if you were to just look at them and say, let's play the word association game. I'm going to say, Christian, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Now, um, we would hope and we would pray that it, their description of us would be the word love. But unfortunately, I don't think that ha that's the case most of the time. When you say the word church or you say the word Christian, there's a lot of different things that conflict the hearts of people who are non-believers. Why? Because there's been a negative image that has been propagated by the body of Christ in this world around us. And I believe, if anything, God is bringing a spirit of correction among us to say, okay, the one thing that you got to do more than anything is love people. Amen. Look, there is not one person in this room that can change another person. You can't change me if you wanted to change me. Oh, I can pretend, but that's not going to be genuine. If I really want a life change to take place, the only one that can do that is God working through me and in me to change me. Amen. So uh, those of you that, that are thinking about getting married and you think, well, we get married, I'll change him. No, you won't. You're thinking, well, when I get her away from her mama, she won't be like that anymore. Yes, she will. Yes, she will. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying you haven't got the power to change anybody. Oh, my love will change her. Your love is phony, blowny, not genuine. The only way you know how to love is to love God. And when you love God, genuine love comes out of you, and God has to do the work in somebody's life. Amen? Amen. You can make suggestions to me, but only, only God can do the work in me. Amen? Amen. Now, wouldn't it be something if, if the one word that non-Christians used was, when you said the word church or Christian would be love? Wouldn't that be great if that was the, the word that came to mind? I wonder if it would revolutionize the effectiveness of our witness in this world if that was the case. I wonder if people would listen more to what we have to say if we lived our lives with such radical, in such a radical, selfless way that it caught the attention of the unbelievers to realize that we do love and we are sold out to the one that first loved us in such a way that we want to change the world with this radical, unconditional, powerful love. Now, I'm going to get to that, and I, and I think you're going to understand a little bit more where we're headed in just a moment. The supreme Christian virtue in the Bible that is preached more than anything is love. It's radical, it's supernatural, it's Holy Spirit-imparted love, the, the same kind of love that permeated and characterized the life of Jesus. It, it should characterize characterize the life of his followers, this same kind of love that defines the very nature of God himself. The Bible says that in 1 John 4 and 8, anyone who does not love or, or who does not love does not know God because God is love. You can't erase that. You can, you can try to ignore that, but because he is love, then guess what? If I know him, then I'm going to love like him. And if I don't love people, then guess what? The Bible says I I don't know him. I don't know him. Don't argue with me. Look up John one day if you get to heaven and argue with him. First John, or, or First John 4 and 8 lays out what we should be or how we should be. In other words, we should be a reflection of the love that was shared with us. 
Now, God owns his love. I want you to look at somebody and say, you know what? Number one, God owns his love. What do you mean by that? You can't add to, uh, add to it. There is no good thing that you can do to get God to love you any more than he does right now. I'm going to say that again. There is not a good thing you can do to get God to love you any more than he loves you right now. He loves you as he always has loved you. He is head over heels in love with his children. He loved you from the beginning, and he will continue to love you. Why? Because his love is not up for debate. He, doesn't, he owns his love. He loves you. You say, oh, no, he loves the preachers more because they're preachers. No, he doesn't. He loves everyone the same. Now, you and I, we can't hardly take that because we live in a world of favorites. Come on. Well, we live in a world where we, we have our favorite kind of ice cream. We have our favorite kind of meal. We have our favorite kind of vehicle. We have our favorite kind of wore-out sweatpants, stretchy pants. Amen. We got our favorite kind of stuff. And, and, and you know what? We get, in, in other words, what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying uh, I like the show Last Man Standing. I do like that show. But he makes no qualms about his three daughters. His favorite is his youngest. And he'll tell the others that. My favorite is this. You know what? That is a man-made thing. And because we bring that into our way of thinking, we think, well, God loves me more than he loves the old heathen selling drugs out on the street corner. I'm going to tell you that's a lie from the pit of the devil. He loves them just as much as he loves you. The only difference is you have realized that love and reciprocated it back to him, and they're in need of it. Amen. They haven't come to that self-revelation of his love. His love is not up for debate. There is no good thing that you can do to earn it. You can't tithe enough. You can't give enough. You can't serve enough. And you can't hold enough positions in the church to, uh, to gain more love than you already have right now. Stephen Furtick put it this way. Quit auditioning for the part you already have. You're already loved. You're already adored. You're already cherished by him. And nothing has changed that. His love is not dependent on you and it's not dependent on me. It's dependent on him. In other words, the Bible tells us that God is love. God's love is unconditional. To help us understand the unconditional love of God, just look at what God's love would look like if it was conditional. I want you to think about it. If God was conditional, if it was conditional, it would, based, it would be based upon something you did to earn or deserve it. If you could do, do something or work for God's love, that that would make his love conditional. So what is unconditional love of God? It is a love that doesn't depend on you. God loves you despite you. In other words, there's nothing I can do to earn it. There's nothing I can do. You say, oh, yes, there is. The more I do this, the more God loves me. No, the more I do things, I'm doing it from my love for him. You see, up for debate is not the love of God today. The God loves you regardless. We've established that fact through the scripture. He loves you. The question is, is about your love for him. Are you loving him the way that he loves you? Are you giving back to him? In other words, if I work for the Lord, I want to do it because I love God. Amen. Amen. I'm going to tell you right now, you'd be out of your mind to choose the profession of preaching if you didn't love God. I don't preach to show God he should love me. I preach because I love him. And he called me to do it. Does that make sense? It's just me doing what I'm supposed to do. Amen. In other words, God's love is here and present. 
uh, living lives such as a, a, a radical and selfless way will transform who we are. It will change who we are. The radical supernatural love that is an attention-getting testimony of Christians to the world. It is the primary and most powerful tool for evangelism. What are you saying? When I live out the radical, unconditional love of God, when I allow that to drive my life, I am not driven to serve God to see what favor I can get from people or how many applause I can get from people or how many pats on the back or good jobs or amens I can get from people. When you and I serve the Lord and work for God because we love Him and it's out of a, a overflowing supernatural love for Him, I'm going to tell you what happens. It will transform the way we do things. In other words, it's more effective than giving away the gospel tracts to people. Amen? And I'm amazed at how I found some of them. You ever found some in the, in the public bathrooms? I wonder how effective that, that, that is. Maybe it is. More effective than, than, than putting on a bumper sticker. I'm going to show you, God, how much I love you. Here's a harvest sticker on my window. Or here's a I love Jesus floor mat. Amen. Do you think that merits? In, do you think God looks down and sees my floor mat that says, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And he goes, oh, man, I love that floor mat. I really love the doormat. I'm telling you, Phil, I'm loving you even more now than I did before. No. Are you following what I'm saying? Does he love you more because you got the right kind of T-shirt on that says, you know, you know, Jesus, as big as you can get it. You're like, oh, look at there, Father. It's my name. <laughs> you think Jesus looks like, hey, Dad, look, that's my name. And God says, yeah, I know, I gave it to you, you know. No. And because of that, I love him more. Don't you love him more, Father? No, he says, no, I can't change my identity or my nature. I've loved them from the beginning. Of, 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 as a matter of fact, I loved them before they were formed in their mother's womb. That's what the scripture says. Before you even breathe. I remember when, when, when my first child, we went to see the sonogram, and all I saw was that little jelly bean peanut bouncing on the sonogram and, and lay, didn't know if it was going to be a girl or a boy and really didn't care because at that moment, I was head over heels in love. At that moment... I took, my love went to another level. I'm sitting here watching that thing on the screen, hoping that's the baby. Okay, you know, have you ever been for one of those? And 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 I'm going. I love this kid. I I I don't. I haven't even held her yet, but I love this child. And then when I held her, love was personified in my life to a whole nother level. What are you saying? I loved her before I ever named her. I loved her before I ever knew her. I loved her before I ever held her. God says, I loved you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I have a destiny. I have a plan, and I have loved you with an unconditional love. Amen. He loves you. It's a settled fact. What would happen if that began to infect everything that we do? In other words, he loves you more than a stadium crusade. In other words, his genuine love shining through everyday people in everyday places is more powerful and effective than stadium crusades. Yes, it is. It's more powerful than revival services. It's more powerful than a Christian billboard. It's more powerful than events, conferences. It's more powerful and effective than anything we can imagine when we genuinely begin to love God back the way that he loves us. Why? I, he, he, he loved me while, while yet I was a sinner, Christ died for me. He loved me even in my worst state. He loved me in my worst condition. He still loved me. Amen. 
And when we begin to love the way that God it motivates us to love, it is a daily, outward, radical, supernatural, selfless, self-sacrificing love. Amen. Now, I'm going to tell you, it's hard to resist church when church defines itself by being driven of love. Number two, love is greater than hope and faith. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. Oh, my goodness. Why is love greater? Because hope and faith can't produce love. Did you know that? Hope and faith cannot produce love. I can't hope enough to produce love in my life. I can't, I can't have enough faith to produce love in my life. What? It is love that produces hope and faith. It's because I know he loves me unconditionally, and it is because I know I am saved by his blood that I have faith that God is going to get us through whatever we face. It's because of that love that I felt from him and that's that giving of his son for me that now I have faith and I have hope in what lies ahead. I have a hope that God is in control of all things. That's why I can look at the, I don't watch the news anymore, but when I, when I would look at the news and, and all I would, anybody ever felt just awful when they got through watching the news? I've got news for you. Turn on the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let the love of God begin to, the church should have a, a positive message going forth where the negative is just sweeping so many minds and hearts. Amen. I don't know what's going to happen. What if they tell you you can't preach this? What if they can't tell you you can't preach this? They ain't going to silence my voice. They ain't going to silence our voice. Only we can silence our voices. However, love can give birth to to both hope and faith in our hearts. When your heart is persuaded in unconditional love of the Father, you're able to have hope and faith in someone who loves you like that. In other words, can you love somebody that loves you like that? Yes. Yes. I can love somebody that will lay it all on the line for me, can't you? In other words, God's motive is love. Love is the driving force behind everything that God has ever done. He does not put bad things. Now get ready for this because some of you battle this. He does not put bad things on you to teach you a lesson. We have got the wrong mentality about God. God's putting that on me. Nine times out of ten, we put it on ourselves. Then we blame the devil for the, the, the other one. Amen. But a lot of times the problems we have, we've created ourselves through our actions, our words, and our motives, not being motivated by his love. In other words, God didn't put those things on you to teach you a lesson. Now, he may use them, but he didn't cause them. Are you following what I'm saying? Because he loves you. That's like me intentionally saying, look, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Paige and Peyton really need to, lo- to, to learn their lesson, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure they you know, give them a, some kind of sickness. You know, go to the doctor. Can you all give them a shot of this to make them really sick so they can learn their lesson? Does that make any sense at all? No. And so that's like saying God did that intentionally to you. God didn't do that to you. When you see the true God of the Bible, I'm convinced that you will want to put your trust in him. He wants you to experience good things. Do you believe that this morning? Say praise the Lord. 
Jesus came so you could live in an abundant life. Not just have eternal life, but an abundant life. He died on the cross to be, uh, to be, not just to be kind to you. So many people think, well, that was such a kind act. That wasn't a kind act. That was, a lo- that was love demonstrated while, while we were yet sinners. Christ, what? Died and gave himself and died for us while I was still sinning. He didn't wait for me to get good enough or perfect enough and, and straighten up enough and then say, okay, now that the world's in a certain place of perfection, I'll die for them. He said, no, while the world, while your world, my world was a wreck, while we were wrecked by sin, he said, I'm going to die now. I'm going to show them now an an alternative to the life they're living. I'm going to show them an abundant life in me. Religion has misrepresented God. It has presented him as a mean and intolerant bully. In other words, who is ready? <laughs> In other words, he's this mean and tolerant bully. God's sitting on his throne. He's got this huge man-sized fly swat. He's waiting on you to mess up so he can swat you. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been to church before where you felt like Rocky Balboa when you got through your Adrian. You know? But I have been to church where I've been so beat up when I left, I wondered why I would even go. Man, why do I want to go? I constantly feel beat up. I constantly feel like I've been put through the meat grinder. I constantly feel like that all I, I don't ever hear anything good. It's always what, what bad I'm doing. I've got news for you this morning. There's good news for us this morning. Jesus loves us. There's unconditional love in this room. And God wants you to leave here filled up and overflowing with the love of God so the world around us might see and know that the love of Jesus is real. Amen. Amen. In other words, I believe that he has been mis- misrepresented by religion. Many churches have re- and religions have caused people to feel like God is mad at them. Have you ever felt like God was mad at you? I have. You ever walked around with condemnation in your life? You ever walked around just feeling like you're the most awful person and then you go to church and you leave feeling even more awful? Amen. No. When we come to this place, this is a place to lay our burdens down. This is a place to give it all to Jesus. And I'm here to tell you, if you're heavy this morning, you can walk out of here knowing that you have laid it down at the feet of Jesus. You say, it's bigger than me, give it to somebody bigger than it. Amen. And you can walk out of here free and whole and restored, ready to reflect the love of God. Amen. They feel that that God is condemning them, harsh, unforgiving, cruel, judgmental. In other words, God is just waiting on you to mess up. God is not waiting on you to mess up. He's waiting on you to give it up to Him, to give it up to Him. Number two, the identity of the church should be be driven by love. John 13, 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. In other words, this is the identity of the church. This is the identity. He didn't say your identity would be on what church you attended. He didn't say your identity would be on what kind of t-shirt you had on. Your identity would be what church membership role you're on. He didn't say your identity would be on who you know and who you're in with or what position you hold in the church. No, he said your identity to this world will be that unconditional love being lived out loud in the world around them. That you are loving one another the way that I have loved you and you are reflecting to this world what true love is. That's what he said. In Acts, the second chapter, we have a a model of how the church must be run. 
we see the early church devoted themselves to four principles. Number one, the apostles' doctrine. Two, fellowship. Three, breaking of bread. And four, prayer. These were the essential building blocks of the church. Many have categorized these and made them into a church growth plan. They've, they've written many books about them and said, here, you know, this is how you get your church to grow. Put in these four building blocks and it'll work. Folks, that is not what the early church did. If I, when I read about the church in Acts, I kind of get the feeling they didn't know what they were doing. Have you ever got that feeling? When I, you know, I finally got, I kind of got the feeling they really didn't know what they were doing. Because why? Because you got to go back to the last part of Matthew. They go with Jesus. Jesus is getting ready to go back to the Father. And he's saying, now I want you to go to the whole world. I want you to teach them. I want you to baptize them. I want you to reach this world for me. And they're on, on board. And then he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm gone. I'm leaving, but I'm not going to leave you without a comforter. Go back to the upper room. Go back to a place in Jerusalem. Tarry there, and the helper, the comforter, will come. Now, I kind of get the feeling they didn't know what was going on because even then they turn around and they say, Lord, now is the time you'll restore your kingdom. In other words, they were still looking for a physical earthly kingdom to be set up with Jesus sitting on a throne and ruling over everybody on the earth. And Jesus says, no, that's not the plan. That's not the plan. The plan is you're going to go make a difference in the world around you. You're going to share this love that you've experienced of me, and you're going to spread it to the whole world. You're going to teach them about me. They're going to be baptized. They're going to be, become followers of me, and that's what you're going to do. And so you get the feeling that these guys really didn't know what they were doing. And so since they didn't know what they were doing, they did the only thing they knew to do, and that was obey the commands of the Lord, which was go and tarry, go wait. Now, in Acts 2, 42, was written and lived out in context. In other words, I don't believe that this is like a four-phase plan that we should live out. Do these four things and you'll see your church grow. Have faith, have word, fellowship, communion, and prayer, and you're on your way. No, folks, that is not what I believe that we should have. In other words, the early church was not a program-driven church. It was a spirit-driven church. And I'm here to tell you, if we're going to see something happen in this community, I don't believe you you go without a plan that'd be like me look I know some preachers have done it and, and but I was taught and I was trained by a lot wiser men than me that that you never even though God may change your sermon you never walk to a pulpit unprepared you always prepare you always study to show yourself approved you always have something to present but God may change it and I've had God change my sermon time after time but I've always went prepared does that make sense? So I don't believe God is saying just go to church and see what happens. No, I think he says what you've got to do is you've got to be spirit-driven so that you're not program-driven. A program-driven church thinks they can accomplish the mission of Christ through their own ability and strength. With this program, we'll change this community. With this program, we will change this world. Folks, it will fail every single time. It is when we come to the Lord and say, God, we really don't know what we're doing. We really don't know anything about how to get your word into the hearts of the people of Chattooga. County and beyond. I, we don't know how to do that, but Lord, we're going to look to you, we're going to seek you, and we're going to wait on you. Come on. We're going to wait on you until you speak to us, and then as you speak, what comes forth, we'll, we'll obey and we'll act upon. So there would be a plan of action, but it wouldn't be theirs. It would be driven of the Spirit. Are you following me today? 
So their devotion to the fellowship, uh, to the word fellowship, communion, and prayer was not a sophisticated program or idea. It was birthed from the Spirit. I believe that what, what made the early church dynamic was that it was a church that expected the Holy Spirit to come and encountered the Holy Spirit, and then they embodied or were embodied by the Holy Spirit and carried out the mission of God. Straight away in Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus meets the disciples and tells them to wait for the promise of power to come. What was that power? Well, that power is found in, in, in the giving of the Holy Spirit, the, and, and it's simply this. It wasn't the power to speak in an unknown tongue. It wasn't the power to lay hands on the sick and them to recover. You say, yes, it was. That's the power. No, it wasn't. That was not what it was defined in the book of Acts as being. It was defined as them having the boldness to share the word of God no matter what. Now, you may say, oh, that's not important. It's important when you got people that are in, that are in rule and in government that has just executed your head, your leader, not long ago. In other words, Jesus had been crucified by the very people that now Jesus is saying, you you go empowered by my spirit and share the gospel. Think about that. So now they're being told to risk all for him. You better be empowered to do that. The bold ability to share Jesus in this world is what they were to be empowered, uh, empowered with. But remember what the command was. Go and wait. Wait. Now, I remember I didn't like that word as a kid, and I really don't like it as an adult. How many in the room love the word wait? <laughs> okay, I'll keep preaching for another hour. We'll see if you wait to go eat lunch. Like, uh, I'm out, man. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying, listen to me. None of us really like the word wait. We don't like the word wait. We want it now, and we live in a society that's used to having it now. I mean, good Lord, they're developing cars that will drive themselves. How lazy can we get? To what degree of lazy can we get? Man, you know, when we were growing up, I was there when the first remote control was activated. It was Dad saying, Phil, get up and turn the channel. I was the first remote control in our house. Amen. Hey, if you haven't went to sleep at night watching that little dot disappear in the center of a screen, you ain't lived. <laughs> Some of these kids are going, huh? Trust us, it was a blessing. Amen. I used to remember when TV went off the air at midnight. Anybody remember that? Not anymore, 24-7. We want it now. You want your news now? You want your food now? You know what? You want, if you don't want to wait on lunch, guess what? You can go and you can get something fast. We live in a very fast-paced society. I'm going to quote Jensen Franklin because I love this statement. I share it a lot. But he said what? He said, we serve a crock-pot God in a microwave generation. In other words, we want it microwaved. We want it fast. We want our healing now. We want our blessing now. We want our church now. Make it convenient. Package it so we can take it with us on the go. And the Lord looks at us and says, do you want power to change the world? Then you're going to have to wait. You want to see great things happen, then you're going to have to wait. So they went to Jerusalem, and there they waited, or they tarried on the Comforter to come. And then the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, the Comforter shows up, and he comes in the form of a wind. There's a mighty rushing wind. It begins, a sound from heaven begins. I'm here to tell you, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to tune my ear towards a sound. Not the sound of politics, not the sound of our society, not the sound of, uh, of conservatism or liberalism, 
baptism, I'm ready to tune my ear to heaven and hear the sound of heaven. How about you? The church is in need of the mighty rushing wind. We are in need of a visitation of the Holy Ghost. We're in need of Him. The Bible says they received power that day. What are the results of waiting on the Lord? Let me just share with you. This is what happened to the early church. What were the results of waiting and praying and receiving? Acts 4.41 will tell you the results. Over 3,000 added to their number in one day. They didn't have a plan or a program. They come out of the upper room. They've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. There on their front step is the world saying, what is going on with these guys? And I'm going to tell you, if the church don't have an explanation for what's going on with us, then the world will begin to define it themselves. So the world began to define what was going on. These guys are drunk. That's what's going on with them. Thank God Peter wasn't so caught up in the blessing that he forgot what was, what, that the world was waiting and watching. So Peter stops everything that's going on. He said, these men are not drunk, as you suppose or you think, but these men have been filled with the Holy Spirit. This is what the prophet Joel spoke about. The Holy Spirit has, been, has come. It's fallen upon us. This is the gift of the Holy Spirit that Joel said would cause your old men to dream dreams and your young men to see visions. This is the Spirit that was promised to empower us. And the Bible says he goes on to preach a message about Jesus, about how he died on the cross, how he was coming back again. And the Bible says they were cut in their hearts. Look, every one of us, it is important that we realize we need to be open to be cut at times by the Word of God. What are you saying? The Bible is sharper than two any two-edged sword. The difference is it doesn't just cut through the flesh. It cuts to the very soul of who I am. And when God does that, it's not to wound you so he can sit you out of here hurting and dying of the wound. He cuts so he might heal he cuts out the sin in my life he cuts out the bad attitude in my heart he cuts out the wrong spirit in me he, he operates on me through his word that I might become who he wants me to be and before long I'm able to love the unlovable I'm able to reach the unreachable because I am not reflecting my love but his love to a world around me that is the mission of the church our identity must be found in what the Holy Spirit gives us. In other words, the early church was in step or in tune with the Holy Spirit. They devoted themselves to the Word. Remember, the Word was what? Jesus. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So they devoted themselves to teaching uh, the, the Scripture, the Old Testament Scripture, and the fulfillment through Jesus. That's what they taught. And then they went a step further. As they taught the Word, they, were, they, they began to, to fellowship. And this means, listen, passionate about their fellowship meant that they had a deep camaraderie. They had a deep connection with the people in their congregation or in, in their group. In other words, I've, I, there's a lot of people go to church together and they don't even know each other's names. There's a lot of people who go to church and they've never connected with anything but a morning service. I want you to know that is never going to be God's plan for us to never connect with each other. It is a community of faith. It is a community of believers. It is building a community within a community. In other words, we all live in the community of Chattooga County or, or, or some may be from Walker County. But when we come into this place, we are building a greater community, the community of faith, the community of hope, and the community of love. And as we build that, it is a reflection of what Jesus wants to do in the world around us. Having his love through fellowship. In other words, some of us need to connect so we can have a good laugh. Come on. 
Do you think laughter isn't a good thing for us? Laughter is a great thing for us. And we need that connection. Some of us are trying to build relationships in every other place but in the household of faith. We are called not just to a private faith. Yes, my faith has to be private, but it also has to be lived out in community. Are you following me today? It has to be lived out in community. The breaking of bread is the simple act of the Lord's Supper, 1 Corinthians 11, 23-26. But it is also alluded that they did more than just the act of breaking bread in communion, but that they shared meals together. They sat down and had lunch together. They sat down and they talked with one another. You really want to know what somebody believes, put a cup of coffee in their hand and a, pie, a piece of pie in the other. They'll tell you what they really believe. Amen? We want to connect with one another the breaking of bread, and then last of all, prayer. This should be a no-brainer, but in reality, prayer is one of the most neglected spiritual practices of the church of the modern age. The average minister, according to R.T. Kendall, if you've never read any of his stuff, it's pretty good. Uh, the average minister uh, uh, prays on average of three minutes a day. Three minutes. That's ministers. The laity prays an average of one to two minutes a day, excluding maybe meals. I want you to think about that. Yet it is through prayer that we make our connection to the Spirit. It is through prayer that we keep our, our, the flowing of the Spirit in our life. There are many ways that we can be devoted, but devotion to a prayer life is the main way that God speaks through us and changes the world around us. In other words, through, God's, uh, through communication with God or prayer, and I think some of the reason is we got the wrong idea of what prayer is. Amen? If you think prayer is all fancy and pretty, then you may have the wrong idea about prayer. Prayer is talking with God, and that means talking with, not talking at. Yes, does he talk to us? That freaks some people out, but how many will say, the old devil's been telling me. Well, if you can listen to the devil, then surely you can listen to God. Amen? What is God telling you? I'm going to tell you one thing God will tell you. God will never share self-destructive behavior with you. God will never speak things of hurt to you. He will always speak things to bring, bring you back in line where there is hope and abundant life. Amen? Always. But prayer must become the, the driving force if we are going to be driven by love. Now let me wrap this up. It's great that we all talk about being dramatically driven and devoted in love. But what's the bottom line? Show me the results. Acts 2, 43 through 47 show us the results. The results jump off the page. The early church was amazed and was amazing in the things that happened. The body took care of the body. The joyful praised God. They, learned, they earned the favor and respect of the unbelievers. God grew in them both numerically and spiritually. It was amazing because the church was driven by love. I'm going to share this in closing today. How many of you woke up this morning praising God for your little toe? Come on. How many woke up this morning saying, oh, thank you, Jesus, for my little toe? This little piggy, it means everything to me. How many? You can laugh, it's okay. What are you saying? How many of you woke up this morning really thanking God for your toe? All right. How many of you got up this morning thanking God for your, your pinky finger? All right. Well, thank you, God, for my pinky finger. No, you didn't. If you did, then you're way ahead of me. No, I just got up. But I'm going to tell you something. When I damaged my little toe, it has all my attention. Come on. When your little toe gets, gets hurt, anybody ever hurt their little toe? 
Anybody ever hit their hand or thumb with a hammer or finger with a hammer? Okay. Broke into that Christian cussing. Lord Jesus, God help me. You know, some of you don't do that. What are you saying? You don't, you don't know what somebody really believes. Hurt them. Comes out, doesn't it? What are you saying, Pastor? Listen. I didn't wake up this morning thanking God for my little toe or my pinky finger. But I had broke my little toe a couple of times in college. And, man, it had all my attention at that moment. And until it healed, it had all my attention. We are the body of Christ. The body of Christ. When part of us is hurting. All of us should be hurting. When part of us is in need, all of us should be in need. And he said, they will know that you are my disciples, not by how much money you give, not how many Bible verses you can quote. They will know you're my disciples, not by how many positions in church you, the church you hold or how well known you are in the community. They will know you're my disciples on how you love each other. How you love each other. And if I am not driven to love, then I cannot reflect Him. I can't hate his body and love him at the same time. I have to love. There's a lot of people who have been through a lot of things. There's a lot of people sitting at home because church hurt them. Or people hurt them. Or they don't see anything worth attending or going, well, I turn to God. I don't see anything there that's any different from the world around us. Church, we got to change that. And how do we change that? By loving God and loving people. Because if I don't love you, then I can't properly reflect His love in me. And as a matter of fact, He said, if I don't, then I don't know God. That's what John taught. Church, if we're going to change the community, it begins by not only accepting His unconditional love, but by reciprocating it to others and sharing it with others. Loving. Loving. Will you stand? Well, I thought you had to follow the Word. If I love God the way I love, ought to love God, I'll have no problem following the Word. <laughs> Why are you in church every Sunday? Because the pastor is going to give you credit? No, I'm in church every Sunday and as much as I can because I'm just head over heels in love with Jesus and I love to be in His house and I love to be among His people and I love to worship Him. That should be the answer. Love. I just want us, if we would, all over this building, bow our heads, close our eyes for just a moment. For those that are new in this room, I am not the kind of pastor that will pull you to this altar. I don't believe in that. I've never seen anything good come from that. Not lasting. But if you're in this building today 
So I just sense somebody is in this room and your heart's breaking. Your heart's breaking. And you have a burden that you feel like nobody cares about. I want you to know this morning that God loves you. And He's ready to put His arms around you. And if you're that person, He's ready to set you free. And if that's you, while nobody's looking around, I just want you to slip your hand up and put it right back down. Nobody looking around? Thank you. There's some others. Come on. Let's obey God. Thank you. God sees where you're at right now. And He loves you. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you're saying, Pastor, I don't even know what you're talking about. I've, I've, I've never given my heart to Jesus. I've never really even been saved. I don't know if I'd go to heaven if something happened to me right now. If that's you and you're saying, but I want that love, Pastor. I want to experience it in my life. I want to know heaven. I want to go there. If that's you, then I want you to raise your hand. And you're saying, Pastor, I'm ready to make a decision this morning. Come on, there's some others. There's some others. This morning, if you're in this room and you've been working yourself to death to gain love from God and the Lord's speaking to you, you can't gain what you already have. You can't, you can't, it's already there. My love for you is there. But you're saying, now I'm looking and saying, where's my love for Him? I need to love Him more. I need to love people more. If that's you and you've struggled with that, I mean, it's hard to love people sometimes. I admit that. It's hard for me to love people sometimes. But folks, we got to get to that place where the love of God reflects in us more than anything else. If that's you and you're saying, Pastor, I'm challenged to love. I'm challenged to be driven by love. And you that's you. I want you to raise your hand. Thank you. There's some others. There's some others. There's some more. Need to raise their hand. Put it right back down. But you need to acknowledge that this morning. Then this is how we're going to do this. I want you... If you, look, if you really mean business with God, then I want you to come. I want you to find a place and I want you to pray. I want you to find a place and pray right now if that's you. Come on. There's some others. Well, what will people think? Who cares? This is between you and God. And as I said, if part of the body's hurting, all the body should be hurting. All of us should be. Come on. There's some others. You need to slip out of your seat and you need to find your way to this altar. I'll just pray when I get home. No. Look, I'm telling you, we need that physical act sometime to show ourselves, not God, but ourselves. I mean business today. I mean business, God. There's got to be real change in me. And Lord, you're the only one that can bring it. You're the only one that can do it. Come on, there's some others. There's some others. We got time to pray this morning. Take somebody by the hand if you don't want to come by yourself and say, come on. Maybe you're sitting here, you got a marriage that needs more of God's love. You take your spouse by the hand and say, come on, let's, let's, let's let God's love come into us. Come on, let's make that move today. Come on, church. Come on, church. Pastor, I don't know what to do. I just, I know there's something pulling at my life. I just don't know what to do. Today, that first step is just walking out and saying, here I am, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I'm surrendering to you. Remember, the early church didn't know what they were doing either. All they knew to do was to wait on the Lord. All they knew to do was to get to the place and say, Here I am, God. I need you. Here I am, God. I need you in my life. If that's you, that's all you got to pray is, Here I am, God. I, I, I know you love me. Now I want to love you back. I want to love you back. Come on, church. All over this building, begin to pray. 
either at your seat or at this altar, wherever you make an altar, wherever you're at, begin to pray right now in your own words. It doesn't have to be polished and it doesn't have to be pretty. All it has to be is real and genuine. Lord, here I am, God. Lord, you know I struggle sometimes in life. Lord, you know, Lord, I fall short. Oh, God, more times than I can count, but you've loved me anyway. Lord, you've cared for me when nobody else would care for me. Lord, you've been, Lord, there for me when no one else would be there for me. Lord, you have loved me when I have not even been lovable, God. You have loved me. Now, Lord, I ask you to help me love you like never before. Father, I I give it to you. Come on, church. Pray. Pray this morning. Pray this morning. Pray this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Sing a little bit. This is the one who loved you. Come on, sing it, sing it.
Oh, you believe that this morning? <laughs> Come on, sing it. Lift it up. In the fire. Give the Lord a praise. Can we do that? We've uh, made a few changes. I, I uh, want to share one of those with you at this time, and I'm going to ask uh, Michael to get ready to come. But uh, we've added some folks to our staff. I've asked Michael and Julie Stancil to serve as our associate pastors of evangelism and outreach. And uh, we're real excited about what God's going to bring out of this. Um, their focus is their calling, is evangelism. Um, the heart of this pastor, I've told you for many, many years, I'm an evangelist, but I serve in the office of a pastor. My heart is souls, seeing people come into connection and relationship with God. But as a lead pastor, my focus is in many, 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 many different areas. And that's an area of this church that cannot suffer, cannot suffer. And so uh, been a lot of prayer that went into this over the last few months, but I just want you to welcome them to our pastoral team. Can you do that? And uh, glad to have them on board. And uh, we're just going to pray for them. God's got some details he's working on, but we're taking steps of faith. Amen. As we move forward in this. Um, looking for some great things to come out of that. And with that said, I'm going to ask Michael to come and close us out in prayer today. And uh, I appreciate his heart to share the gospel in places some people do not have an opportunity to share it. I want to see Harvest live up to the name that we call ourselves, Reaching the Harvest. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. 
If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.